The Giants are running New York like the times as Danny is dropping all sorts of dimes. Saquon's thighs are ruining defenses' lives and Leonard Williams making opposing QBs feel him. Receivers think it's scary to line up across James Bradbury and the Giants have a bright future led by coach, judge, jury, and executioner. Tune in to Drawing About the G-Men every Wednesday at 6, live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Which the college football season is coming back, and we got you covered on every game. We're breaking it down on each snap all season long. Catch us every week starting on August 4th. Joe McGuire, Sean Scanlon, Jace Garcia, and yours truly, Obi Meeks, giving you the highlights, predictions, and current rankings. Visit our website at hhwshow.com and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's all four downs, part of the CMG Sports Podcast Network. Throwing jabs, always full send. Here we go again. Jared, Joe, and Jays. Clover Crest, top three corner man. Punching in with a punch of chance. We find a way to win. The main event, lock it in. Every Saturday at 10, the overhand is out of hand. When it comes to fisticuffs, slide a hand on the undercard. You'll never see the punch. Uppercut, got you missing weight. Feet a step and late. Keep your guard up, feeling faint from a faint. Take a stand and eighth, then retaliate. Put up your duke, stick and move. Bob and wave. Don't lose hope against the ropes. There's always an escape. Never stay down. One more round, bells ringing, counter punch with your chin tucked and go down swinging we bring in crosses with no worship hooks with no verses combinations with no locks when you feel the flurry of curtains from scrub scraps to fight stats relax if you want the facts because the best combat podcast is throwing jabs last time on throwing jabs I, I, Ortega's going to get done. Third round submission. And that's all I'm going to say. The only person I like I'm more amongst the little guys than Volkanovsky is Max Holloway. So you're still not you're still not selling the argument to me. Yeah. I, I don't have to sell it to you because I'm right. And next week I'm going <laughs> to be eating my cake being all happy. Chase, if Brian Ortega somehow, some way... Comes out victorious. Shave your head. I'll shave my head. Oh! <laughs> Let's do a hair for hair bet then. Oh, oh no! I'll shave my head. Oh, no. And if either one wins, I'll shave my head. <laughs> Somebody's going to the barber with me, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. Volkanovski is is definitely going to win this fight, and I'm definitely going to keep it. the the sexy locks. <laughs> Lock it in. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Throwing Jabs. I'm Big J, joined by Joe Wire and Jared Jones. And yep, there we go. I'm bald. <laughs> but boy, I, I will say, my third round submission. Prediction was very, very close. I thought. Hey, I, I tell you what, 
The only the only moments that he had in that entire fight came in that third round. Yeah, and sure. here's so last night I was uh, I did uh, prideful takes with our buddy uh, Riley Barrett Valdez, and we talked a lot about this fight and specifically what I explained was what I explained to you last week. I in, in, I would say look, go around every single division in this sport. There is an elite guy or two in every division. And then there's everybody else. Brian Ortega could probably be anybody in the featherweight division three down. He could probably take out any other guy in that division any day of the week. There are two guys that he cannot beat. One is Alexander Volkanovsky. The other guy is Max Holloway. Those guys are on the next level. Again, I would go division by division. We did that last night. You're not going to find more than one or two elite guys per division. And unfortunately for Brian Ortega, I just think he's on the outside of that. He fought as good a fight as he could fight, and it wasn't even close. Can I add two words? Please. Or women. Or women. If that yeah. other fight we watched on that card is any indication, yeah, absolutely. The elite level fighters are somewhere way above the next, you know, the third, fourth, and fifth. It's yeah, and it's just about every division where you've got two. Yeah, one or yeah. two that just don't see it. In happen. the case of the middleweights, I mean, Adesanya is, is, is the 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 lone cheese. There's nobody else in that division. I would argue the same thing with the welterweight division. That I I think yeah. there's one elite guy, it's Kamara Usman. Everybody else is there. And and I'm sure guys like you know Colby Covington or you can beat everybody else in that division. You're not beating Usman. So again, there are the elites, and then there are everybody else. And we're in and, agreement that Volkanovski's one of those. Oh yeah, Volkanovski's yeah. here, okay. uh, as is Max Holloway. That's where those guys are. And so again, when my, it's funny after the show, my wife was like, "Oh my God, are you going to have to shave your head?" And I said <laughs> to her, I looked my wife in the eyes and I said. Oh, no, there's a 0% chance that Volkanovsky loses. Zero was what I told her. Now, were you nervous at all in that third no. round? Because I was a little bit. He had no. uh, he had twice he had to. Dude, no. Volkanovsky's neck is just too short, dude. Ah. He's just got that small neck. No, but I do think – I think Brian Ortega can be on that level, but there's just that one glaring weakness, and that's his head movement. When the, these two guys, great boxers, that they were able to take advantage of him not being able to move his head. That's why uh, it is eye both times just attack that eye because he's not moving his head. So I, I think he needs to reconvene with his boxing coach and get that going because he does like like we, I I thought I had it at the third. I I mean he was getting beat up, but then like that's what Ortega does. But I, I do think he is. He can be there, but yeah, yeah. Right now, he's not Holloway or Volkanovski. I still love Brian Ortega. I'm still going to oh, defend no. him, even though listen, he got. Listen, listen. I, I, I want to be super clear here. I think Brian Ortega is a fantastic fighter, and I do, I do, I agree with. You. I think Brian Ortega can beat most guys. This is asking too much. Again, if he couldn't beat Holloway and Holloway couldn't beat Volkanovski, do the math. Well, I mean, the science would... says we reach our physical peak around 26, 27. Athletically, this guy's 30. 
So at 30 years old, if you're this thoroughly dominated, no, this is you what you are to that level. That's who you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This That's is who you are capable of. working on your head movement at 30 years old and giving another shot to a guy that beat you five, nothing. Again, this is one of those. I don't know how he scored 45 points. <laughs> I yeah. must not understand boxing. Yeah. If you gave that guy 45 points, I don't know. I don't know how he got. Well, how much did I get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I must have got at least 35 in that fight. I, 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 yeah. Um, I, again, you know, listen, it, it, here's I was having this conversation with pride because here's my whole thing. I don't pick favorites. I don't pick guys that I like. You know what I mean? I I, I not necessarily I don't necessarily love Alexander Volkanovsky. I wanted him to I wanted Max Holloway to beat him because I love Max Holloway. I'm a Max Holloway fan that can literally walk away from both fights and 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 I think Volkanovsky won them both. I think he barely won both of those fights. I can I can admit that freely. I think Volkanovsky's a little better than Holloway. He's just got a little more in, in the well-rounded skill set. And that's what makes Volkanovsky a little better than Holloway. Holloway's way better than Ortega. We already saw that. And now again, to watch Volkanovsky do the same thing, it's clear that, that there are two guys in this division who are just far and away better than everybody else. That's no knock on Brian Ortega. It's That's, that's really more a testament to how great Volkanovsky and Max Holloway are. Yeah, I have a question though. Where, pound for pound wise, does Volkanovski fit in? Would you say after this fight? I mean, uh, he's got to be in the top five. Ooh, no, Jared. I don't think so. Are we- As a matter of fact, I just pulled up the UFC rankings when I said that they've got him third. And Johnny Three. Jones is number two. You and could almost argue Volkanovski then is really the number two pound for pound fighter, yeah. at least according to the UFC. Yeah, but they also don't factor in where they have women's as their own thing. I like, yeah, I like Blockowicz. I like uh, Nganu, Adesanya. I'd like to see one more from Volkanovski. But like you yeah. said, after two wins over Holloway, who do you fight for me to feel like that? Josh Emmett or Calvin Qatar? Like, there's not. There's yeah, I I think yeah, and John Jones, I just don't even want to see your name. Like yeah. what is your? I mean, it's pretty clear in the featherweight division. Name. We we need we need Volkanovski Holloway three. There there's what other fight is there to be made in that division that anybody's going to care about? Yeah, only because there is not another great fight to make. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, if you guys end up fighting three times over a, a almost four year span, that's it's pretty wild. You know, that's kind of that's kind of kicking it back to the old school where where Lamada and Sugar Ray, there was no one else to fight. We'll just yeah. we'll just keep fighting. Let's do it six times. Let's do it uh this weekend. We'll do it again next weekend. And then we'll do one <laughs> next month. That's what was happening because there was no other fights to be made. There was nobody else was going to beat the champ, so run it back. Well, let's see what happens. So I think that's what you're going to get in the featherweight division. Uh, is is another Holloway Volkanovski fight. In the meantime, it'll give some of these other guys a chance to get get their act together, start making yeah. some moves, and start sliding up. I mean, I think Yair Rodriguez is definitely a guy that's going to get a shot 
I'm not Especially sure. If he can beat Holloway coming up. Sure. I mean, again, if he could beat Holloway, that'll tell you a lot. I don't think he's going to beat Max. But no. again, let's let's see where he's at. But uh, before we move on from this fight, uh, Brian Ortega, he's been in, he's fought Holloway. So, he, like you said, he's fought these guys, and, and he just can't get over it. So, like, what is next for him? Because uh, honestly, he he has he started some stuff outside of the octagon. He's working with Robert Downing Jr. Uh, working on a bunch of charity work. He's, he's been in movies and that stuff, had, like, cameos and that. So, honestly, man, like, is it time to, to hang up the gloves? Because I, I wouldn't be that shocked if he did. You, you got these two guys that you've shown, like, yeah, you can hang in with, but, but they're obviously better. And, and you've got stuff outside of the octagon working for you. So, what's you, you're just taking more trauma at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, it's funny. Pride last night on the show said Brian Ortega learned uh, his Brazilian Jiu Jitsu from the Gracies and, and is thus eligible to teach it. Um, and then went on to make some good points. And I was like, that's actually a really good point you made. He should go and teach Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> I think that would be a good, safe career choice for Brian Ortega because if he gets into a ring with Volkanovsky or Holloway again, I'm afraid someone's going to crack his skull to the point where he's not going to know his own name. He's not going to understand what T city means. Um, well, we had, there's no reason for that. We had John Scully on the show um, a couple months back and he just got a pair of gloves signed by Mickey Ward. He's auctioning them off on his Facebook to try to help, uh, a fighter in need he didn't get into the story this time you know maybe it's private but he regularly tells the stories of guys and and uh does things to try to raise some funds to help them out and it always it, it's always uh baffling to me how many people went and cheered and screamed while all the lights were shining on them and now they're just sitting in a dark room by themselves and there's so few people that will even care, you know, you've got to hustle up signed gloves from a more famous guy than them just just to get them a couple hundred bucks to pay some hospital bills. So when you talk about concerns with Brian Ortega, guys that fight like this, the Justin Gages, I don't want to see you after 30, 31, you know, you're not moving your head. This is a dangerous game to play if you're not going to move your head. No, get back back with his boxing trainer isn't the thing. This is the level you're at. So fight at that level, you know, make a few more paychecks. There's not a championship in this in this guy's future. And the more he fights those two guys, the more we're going to get to somebody having to do fundraisers to take care of him when he's older. Great, great point from Tony here. The biggest difference between the elite and everyone else is everyone else is more limited, one dimensional and can't adapt when things go wrong. I mean, I'm sure early in this fight, Brian Ortega was like, hmm taking a lot of punches to the face like I did against Max Holloway. <laughs> what did my coach say to do to not get punched repeatedly? Uh, even funnier, I know we're going to talk about the next fight in a minute, but I mean, Lauren Murphy said the same thing about what Shevchenko it was like. I had a game plan. I really did. Can't execute it when all you're doing is getting hit in the face over and over again. And that's very true. I mean, listen, if and this is why, uh, again, uh, doing pride show last night, he he referred to Amanda Nunez as as the best 
he says best pound for pound fighter in, in MMA period. And I say she's number two. Uh, because for me, Valentina Shevchenko, again, consider the size. Let's write all things considered here, pound for pound. Shevchenko nearly took out Nunes, who's a much bigger person, twice. And in the second fight, again, I personally think Shevchenko won that one. There does need to be a third fight. I don't know when that's going to happen, but again, do I, I don't need to see, I don't need to see Valentina Shevchenko fight somebody like Lauren Murphy again. That 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 did nothing for me. And Lauren Murphy didn't have a chance from the second that fight started. Right? I, I don't need to see Amanda Nunes beat, you know, Juliana Pena again or or Even Misha Tate. I, I don't I don't need those fights. Amanda will kick their ass. Got it. There's one person in this entire sport that can give Amanda Nunes the kind of fight we want. It's Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah. I've made that argument before that you just made, too. When you talk about pound for pound, you're considering all those things. So with fights that close with somebody that much bigger, it's, it's, it's almost a no-brainer. I had a draw with a kid, 240. Uh, Dane. Uh, you go pound for pound, though. He outweighs me by 70 pounds. That's an easy one to say if you've got a win and a draw over somebody 70 pounds bigger. And that's it. You have fights that close with somebody that much bigger than on the pound for pound list. That one's easy. You had what could have been called a draw with somebody 20 pounds bigger. Okay, yeah, pound for pound, I'll give you the edge. And that's... Ship Here's the other, the other example I brought up was, look... You know, I, I didn't pick Marvin Vittori to beat Adesanya because I, I'm a big Marvin Vittori fan. I'm not stupid. You know what I mean? And I'm also not a I mean, just because he's Italian. I don't know. I mean, just as everyone assumes I love the guy. I didn't even know who he was until I saw the Adesanya fight. That's what made me like him. And then to watch that guy pursue Adesanya and seemingly have the game plan to beat him, which, as it turned out, ask Jan Blahovich. That was the blueprint to beat Adesanya. Hmm. The thing that Vittori didn't have was 30 extra pounds like Jan had over Adesanya. That's, that was the difference. That's all Vittori needed was, was a little extra weight. Vittori's stronger than Adesanya. That's why he was able to get him down. He just wasn't able to keep him down by laying on him like Jan did. But that was the blueprint. We talked about it for months. The blueprint was there. Again, I didn't think he was going to win because I love Italy. That wasn't yeah. my reasoning. My reasoning was I loved what this guy did in the first fight. Every fight since then, it seems like that's the formula to beat Adesanya. He lost, but then Blahovich beat him. And so that told me all I needed to know. All right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the Shevchenko fight. Because, I mean, yeah, just domination. First to finish, Lauren Murphy. I mean, I, I just – I don't know why, just when you're walking forward, just punch, punch, punch. I don't know why. I just love that so much. You saw that in the intro. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. The only fight for her to ha have next has to be Nunez or, like, uh, Brandon Moreno. Like, like I don't see anyone else that, that – anyone that gives her any close to, to a run for her money. It is just like the old Muhammad Ali bum of the month days. 
It's this is she. Lauren Murphy was so far outclassed, and Lauren Murphy's tough as nails. Never been stopped before. Took a lot of punishment, but that highlight you showed of she looked like. <laughs> I just thought of this. Do you remember the Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds? She looked like an extra <laughs> from The Birds. Where are these all coming from? Like it. It was <laughs> ridiculous, disastrous. She's she's not even. That's why I said Lauren Murphy. And then I went on and looked at the list. And to reiterate what Joe said, there's only one or two girls worth fighting on the planet for this for for uh, Shevchenko. Lauren Murphy released a statement the next day. She had nothing to say after the fight, <laughs> and 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 not in a disrespectful way. I mean, I think she she uh, took it tough. You know, I don't think she expected that was going to happen to her. Uh, part of the statement, uh, just this is the part I love. They just kept it simple and positive, like I asked them to do, speaking of her corner. I can't stand it when corners rush in and screaming to find her about how they're losing rounds. I know when I'm losing rounds, and I knew I needed to make something happen. I couldn't make it happen due to getting hit every time I tried. As the great Chal P. Sonnen once said, the problem is I was in there with a much better fighter tonight. Oh. Well, said, it's a though. it's a tough well thing to have to admit, like Brian Ortega, to say I'm in the ring with somebody who is far superior skill wise to me, that it would take a perfect fight and a miracle for me to beat this person. And that's that's the thing. If we get away from victims and psychology, that's the thing that the bullies need to get in their brain to be able to be better people. That you just can't. I remember those moments with Chad Dawson, with Jose Rivera, with uh, even with my friend Brett Sponzo, who did some amateur work and was 20 pounds bigger and was a good, good boxer. There were moments where you just rethink your plan. You try something and then you try something else and then you try something else and you're like, okay. So plan A didn't work. And then I started troubleshooting. Like Tony said, the great fighters do that. And uh, not working, not working, not working. And you take a step back and you do that little, do I, do I run the clock? Like, what do I do? And it's easy as a fan to say, go make something happen. Throw something that could change the fight. I really like it when guys said, that was a boxer last night. Ended at the end of the fifth round. But that fourth round, something happened to him. And he brought hell on that man. He won the round and then went to the corner and went back to the dressing room because he wanted to put out what he had left and knew the fight was going to be stopped because he was getting his butt kicked and tried to make something happen. And Lauren Murphy, watch, watch the fight. She's right. She tried to make something happen. She took to bring me those Facebook fans that have things to say about Lauren Murphy. And I want them just to, in a snap of my fingers, wear the end of that fight. As Lauren Murphy, just whatever punishment she received from uh, from uh, from how big a female? 145, 155. Right. Yeah. Shevchenko. Yeah. 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 So you're so so from 145 female tough guy. <laughs> Wear all of that and be feeling how she felt physically at the end of the fight. And then get on your keyboard and tell me what she was supposed to do differently because you would have been gone around one tough guy. 
I, I don't. Yeah, I can't stand that thing. And if you watch the fight, she wasn't lying. She tried and tried and tried. And every time she got blasted like the birds, <laughs> where are these coming from? I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, she did try, but every time she she went for one punch, Valentina had two punches and a, and a leg kick to respond. So, I mean, like, yeah, people can say, hey, go out, do this all they want. But, yeah, I mean – Shevchenko is just a, a different animal. And you know, here's the other thing I almost think, and it's sort of to Lauren Murphy's detriment, but Lauren Murphy had never been in a real fight before with a killer. You know what I mean? And yeah. so what was going to be her plan B? She'd never needed a plan B before. And I think she went into this fight thinking she'll just do what she normally does and it'll be fine. And then quickly learned, oh, my God, I can't do any of the things I want to do because I'm getting punched over and over again. Mm. Same thing with Ortega. I mean, again. Uh, 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 you you knew early on that you were getting battered. Try something else. But if you don't have a plan B, there there the thought was never in your mind. You you're on the fly gonna what? Come up with a game winning strategy. Here's the interesting thing: all three of the of the big fights here, Shevchenko, Joshua, and Volkanovsky. In each case, the person with the much higher ring IQ easily won the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people who know and and can adjust on the fly, who are multi-dimensional fighters with more than one skill, I think, generally speaking, will generally win fights. Yeah, and I mean, you just brought it up. Let's get to it. Usyk gets the win over Joshua, and and I will say, I text you guys after it. This was a big win for boxing because I know Anthony Joshua is Eddie Hearns golden boy but for the judges not one judge to give one of those weird scorecards to joshua that is a big big win for boxing especially since all the corruption and what boxing has become as far as scoring wise this was big and Usyk, yeah he just dominated like it was on a whole nother level i mean the and the big question out of here how does Usyk? Match up with Tyson Fury now. Oh, I don't want to skip. I want to skip that far ahead. Okay. In 2019, we started this show, right? And we did our pound for pound list. And I said, if Baturbiev can better be if can ever get in the ring with Canelo, he's gonna beat him. If Ortiz Jr. ever gets into a ring with Bud Crawford, he's gonna beat him. And if Alexander cover your mouth, you sick ever ends up in a ring and he had just moved to heavyweight with Anthony Joshua, he's going to beat him. I didn't just say this last week on the show. I said this two years ago when he made the move to heavyweight, this guy bet beat better, better be of who I think is. I think these two guys belong on the top pound for pound list, regardless of who they've beaten because they're two of the best boxers better be of in USAC. It's the argument I made in 2019. And then when we were asked what fight, when the who you got from Jace was what fight could potentially save the sport of boxing, be a, be a shiny notch on the belt. And I said, Usyk over Joshua. I said those same three fights over again, reiterated that this guy's going to beat Anthony Joshua. And he came out and picked and pointed and did exactly what he needed to do to beat this guy. This is the best heavyweight boxer on the planet. That said... 
I think Fury boxes a little bit better than Joshua. He's a little bit bigger. I don't know who to pick in that fight because wasn't it the size of Joshua that was going to be the ultimate advantage in this fight? The difference is Joshua tried to outbox Usyk. Nobody on the planet's going to do that aside from maybe better be it. Um, Tyson Fury, when that doesn't work, he'll make that adjustment and turn into a bear and start mauling a smaller man. And that's a tough, tough fight. That's a tough fight. I, uh, I, oh man, I don't know. I like Usyk against Joshua. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I don't even want to look ahead yet, especially when you're dealing with someone as unstable as Deontay Wilder. <laughs> Who knows what's gonna happen before, after, and during? So, uh, can he listen. fight John Jones? Can we just? <laughs> <laughs> And have Wilder yes. fight Jones in a death match or something, and then they both retire. You know, it's funny like that. that you say that. I, I was actually having a conversation with my daughter last night. We were actually talking about uh, Deontay Wilder, and I and and she's a John Jones fan as well, and obviously massively disappointed at the these latest developments. It's it's amazing um, to see these two really talented guys who just seemingly can't get out of their own way mm. and you know i know a lot of people are are done with and really down on john jones i i am hopeful that when he has to look his three kids in the eyes whenever he gets to see them again and apologizes for what he did to their mother that maybe that'll be the moment that really turns the corner for john jones because uh, you know, he put out a statement and the alcohol, blah, 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 blah. Um, he's he's got to he's got to get on track, man. And and it's unfortunate that uh, and the same thing with Deontay Wilder, uh, who's I think next weekend's in some trouble. And who knows where the spiral goes from there? You know, it, it it's it's awful. I say this about Anthony Joshua balls to even take this fight. Yeah. Because he could have, he could have sat around and waited. He could have, he could have taken somebody else. There's a lot of things Anthony Joshua could have done. Kudos to him for going in there against Usek. But you know, and you called it, Jared. I mean, you know, the the major concern we've had since this show started, or at least since I joined the show, is the fact that Usek, in trying to move up to heavyweight, seemed to be struggling to fight at that weight and to stay healthy. He looked great at 220. He looked absolutely amazing at 220. He and, and he he looked like a heavyweight. And I mean, he battered Anthony Joshua. Uh, and he took all of Joshua's best punches, which reminded me a lot of Fury versus Wilder. Mm. It was kind of the same thing playing out here. The other interesting thing is, and and again, this is where the technical part of the sport comes into play. Jared, you know this better than anybody. Anthony Joshua, uh, did not fight Alexander Usek properly. He, the, the foot positioning against the lefty, he, he was on the inside. He should have been on the outside. It's literally the reason he ate punches for 12 rounds. Well, It, I it was, yeah, I mean, Jared, how, how does the corner not notice that and say, dude, get that foot outside, you're getting murdered. Yeah, rotate the other direction. Um, and I had said during our during our uh, uh, preview of this fight that 
for Joshua to win, he needs to get on top of Maul, lay on, you know, Ali with the rope-a-dope type stuff with, uh, with Usyk. And he's not that kind of fighter. He won't do any of that even after he's losing the fight. And I... I challenge anybody to go back and watch that fight and say Usyk didn't take a round or two off. I felt like there were moments he was so dominant and so far ahead that he was like, I want to make sure I have enough steam to finish this fight. And when you do that, you are way ahead. You are dominating the fight. And I saw him do that. I think it was the sixth, maybe fifth or sixth, but he kind of, Flurried toward the end of the round and tried to make it look close, but was obviously maybe seventh, obviously like building up the the gas he was going to need to keep doing all the things he was doing. To, again, to to be able to do that, I I you know I, one of the best moments of the last year for me was uh, the Nurmagomedov when he decided he wasn't going to armbar Justin Gaethje because he didn't want to have to break his arm, so he put him to sleep. To be that dominant in a sport where you're thinking about how you're going to end this thing, you're Usyk and you're like, ah, uh, let me let me dance a little, some feints, throw him off. I'll take a couple of his best shots and I'll ride through this round so I can finish him. And that's the other thing, Alexander Usyk finished that fight in the twelfth round. He was going for the knockout. He was yeah. battering <laughs> Joshua up against the ropes, and you got to figure. Joshua, I think at this point, knew he needed a knockout to win that fight. Yeah. He knew yep. it. And Usyk didn't even give him a chance to throw anything because it was a unbelievable fight for Alexander Usyk. I, I, I couldn't be any more excited. Tony just pointed out Wilder Joshua was a $100 million fight two years ago. This is what happens yeah. when you pussyfoot around. Now you get nothing. Ungats. Yeah, but I will I will challenge the statement you made earlier. Anthony Joshua I, 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 having balls to take this fight. It's not of Anthony Joshua. He would have taken that Wilder fight. He wanted that Wilder fight. It was the, the promoter, Eddie Hearn, getting in the way, talking about the money. This, he wanted to fight Fury. But Eddie Hearn got in the way. Now Eddie Hearn comes to him with Yusek. Of course he's going to take the fight because he thinks he's the best. So it's on the promoters. Eddie Hearn, you're an Englishman. You're an Englishman, and you didn't let two English you, – you didn't let the heavyweight championship of the world, undisputed heavyweight championship of the world, get decided by the two English champions in England. What are you doing, Eddie Hearn? That's on you. That's on you. And then – and this is why the, the fighters – they need a. They need to come out and have more of a voice because they need to call out their promoters more. Like j- people are saying, Josh was scared to fight Wilder. Josh was scared to fight Fury. It's not on him. The, 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 they couldn't get the deal done. Eddie Hearn couldn't get the deal done. That's the problem. Bob Arum can't get deals done with 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 Crawford and Spence and that stuff. So th- don't put it on the fighter. It's on the promoter. Yep. What a terrible yeah, you, decision, by the way, by Deontay Wilder. Yeah, yeah. Maxed out of the Joshua <laughs> fight. I'll take Fury. And my God, we got a third fight. <laughs> We're on number three where Wilder's like, I got this. Just, I got this. <laughs> Hang on. About to knock this guy out. 
Yeah, yeah I'm surprised also uh, that that boxing promoters haven't gone the way of the dinosaur. They're so stunningly ineffective and useless that uh, it's probably time to go with a new model in boxing. Maybe every guy just needs his own team and and not everybody just signs to labels like like your rappers. You're not, a you know, model in boxing. What? You know anything <laughs> like that, Jared? <laughs> but I mean, if you're Eddie Hearn and you let this big English fight get away, and, th- and now you can't you can't have it. It's it's lost its allure. I mean, it's probably going to get made, but it could have been so much more bigger, so much bigger. It was before the casual fan even knew Fury or Usyk. The, they yeah. that's that's one of the biggest misses in boxing history, if you ask me. Joshua Wilder, uh, because they were in the amateurs when me and Little Chris started going back and forth about who would win that fight, me with Joshua and him with Wilder. And to just have never seen it. We were building up to that for so long. And then just, you know, behind Mayweather Pacquiao in their prime. This might be one of the biggest failures in boxing promotion history. Yeah. Yeah, look, Floyd, Floyd Mayweather, drop Bob Arum, start your own thing, man. Um, but then again, you know, you got a bunch of people fighting on 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 the Mayweather promotion. And, and I don't think that's good for anybody either. Because I think Mayweather is doing a lot of these young guys that are on his, I'm going to call it label. Cause I just think that's funny uh, that he's going to, that I, I don't think he's doing these guys. Right. I don't think he's putting these guys in the right position. Uh, trying to, trying to plan out their careers like his own. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and, again, I think everybody should just get your own team. Yeah. And that, and now you got Jake Paul stepping in with, I think it's called most valuable promotions. Uh, tweeting out that he signed Amanda Serrano, called her the the GWOT, the quote, and the greatest female boxer alive. And we all know who the real greatest female boxer alive is. So. But, uh, I mean, we, we spoke a little bit about him. Let's get into some current events. John Jones, I mean, it's it's really, really bad. So much so. UFC takes him, takes the pound for pound spot away from him. He shouldn't be on those rankings at all. But I mean, for, they, they dropped him from one to two. two. Yeah. And this is the problem. Every John Jones incident is a. Yeah. Will you stop? Will you stop beating girls and doing drugs and going to jail and, and doing you, dumb things? Like, you, you knock it right off. Do you guys remember during the Black Lives Matter protest when he ran out and was like trying to stop protesters from uh, doing like, dude, get it together, John Jones. Just just here's the worst part is, uh, you know, it's funny. Dana said we can't bring this guy to Vegas, not even for a few hours. Like, it's only Vegas where John Jones falls apart. He's been in trouble in Albuquerque. He's been in trouble in New York. John John finds trouble. Trouble doesn't find home. John. He, John yeah. Jones could find – John Jones could go to Amish country. He would still <laughs> he would still get into some mess. Muzzles off! <laughs> oh, but, I, no, I, I think the solution is pretty, pretty easy for John Jones. For John. Stay active. Stay fighting, because when you're in camp, 
that this stupid stuff doesn't happen. Since his last fight, what, like two, three arrests? Well, what are you doing? Focus on the sport. Like I said last week, he's a fighter, not a mixed martial artist. Be a mixed martial artist and put the time into your craft. Yeah, that's, you know. That's funny. You're reiterating something. I was watching a replay of some of those spotlights and Anthony Baker was saying that when I I do all of these dumb things and then when I have that to focus on, for some reason, it drives me not to do all of those dumb things. Yeah. John Jones has this solve all for his idiocy. Get into fight camp where there's people around you giving you direction. You know, as soon as you lose that direction, you're lost. You're lost. You're better off for, for society. You are better off in jail when you're not in fight camp. I don't want to see it anymore. I'm I'm like I'm all set. Yeah, and I <laughs> I know I, it's what we do here, but <laughs> I'm all set with this guy. No, yeah, and it's the 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 UFC. I, I they need to make the consequences need to be more like moving down in the pound for pound rankings. That that's nothing. You shouldn't even be in there because you, you're off what two years now. Like what the hell's that? And he's basically retired and, and yeah. should be treated as such. Yeah, but but you know what's gonna happen? He's gonna come back. He's gonna beat up an even older Stepe Miocic, and everyone's gonna go back to thinking he's, he's or an older wife. Artist. What? Jeez. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. Like why? Why I? I mean, Listen. The, the details. Uh, pulled a woman's hair. Headbutt a police officer. Um, and there was a there was a quote about them coming to like, let's see how many of you guys I can knock out. They had a direct quote of when the police were there, like, yeah, yeah, no mace, no batons. Let's let's see how many. Like, this is just this idiocy, man. This is ridiculous. You you have an opportunity to be, yeah. And you're talking about the punishment is telling me I'm the second best fighter on the planet. That's my punishment. I'm the second. When's the last time I fought? And I'm the I call. I'll beat John Jones. I'm calling bullshit. Pound for pound, I'm 160. He can't beat me. I'm calling bullshit. Now, how are we gonna make that fight? Guess what? We're not. Take him off the list. Take him off the list. Put me at number two. Names are close enough. <laughs> it's only three letters out, just an A and R and a D. Well, that's listen. hilarious. I didn't even that didn't even Jay, occur to me. Yeah, we're ready that. to go. We're all keeping up with ready. the Joneses, baby. <laughs> um, but but whose name belongs more on the list? I can make the fight. I can show right. up for that fight. He can't. Yep. Yeah. I'm the but, number two pound for pound fighter on the planet. Listen, like I said, I, I I'm <laughs> just hoping. I'm just hoping that that this is this was a different incident. You know, it, in the past, John's generally. Uh, the trouble's been with people he doesn't know and doesn't care anything about. And this time it was different. And like I said, I don't know. I don't know when John's going to get to see his girl and his three kids again, but he's going to have to look them in the eyes. And if there's any chance of that relationship staying intact going forward, he's going to have to look them in the eyes a lot, which means John's going to have to go look into a mirror and really really decide some things for himself right now. And I know we've been over this and, and, and Cormier and Adesanya have been tweeting about how many more chances does this guy need? Fact of the matter is John Jones is the best fighter in the UFC. Hands down. John will beat anybody. 
Okay, so let, let's let's throw a, a little bit of the the jealousy out the window for a minute. There are people who don't like John Jones in the UFC because John Jones is better than them. Now, John's got serious problems, and we know this, and he desperately needs to get some help. I would love to see Dana and company do something to help this guy. Yeah. I'd like to see a union of some sort mm. maybe formed in in this sport in particular, boxing maybe as well. So that there's somebody looking out for the young guys that's not your dad or your manager or your promoter or the guy that runs your your league. That it's somebody who's really looking out for you, the human being, for you, the for, for you, the 23 year old youngest champion in UFC history, all the fame, all the fortune. I'll be honest. I love John Jones. I didn't know John Jones had three kids. I had no idea. This is the first time I found out John had kids was when his kids called the cops because he beat their mom. Mm. This is a failure of all of these fight sports. I was, and this is so crazy to me, but I was working with Scrub Scraps for, I want to say, three or four years before Dizzle and I sat down and really recognized that we were getting a different demographic that there was something about these people that they wanted to fight and that wanting to fight sets you apart from other people. So what a failure on the part of UFC, on the part of boxing as a whole, to have this magic, this life-saving magic that you're giving away to all these people. And you know that the majority of the people that walk through those doors is going to need that magic, is going to have dealt with trauma and fighting is going to make sense to them. They're going to need that magic and the ones that fall off of that path, there's nothing there for them. We already know they need it. And now our path didn't work. Like you say, why isn't, why don't all of these fight sports have that kind of therapeutic union, that place for when you fall off in this game, you are a different kind of breed. You are more dangerous to the society than when Clovercrest gets shut down or you lose your nursing license or CSC fires you. This is a different game. These people are fighting with each other. These people, it makes sense to them to go fight other human beings. That doesn't make sense to everybody. And the people that that makes sense to that then fall off, well, yeah, as a society, we should have some professionals there for them. Don't you think fighting made sense to them and then that didn't work? There's no next step. Yeah, this is this this ends up being what you have is the worst of the worst. You have the Lewis Restos of the world. You have the uh, the uh, who's the guy? Max Kellerman's brother. Max Kellerman's brother was murdered by a boxer. Um the guy was arrested for knocking the guy out after the fight. They took his gloves off. He walked over, broke the guy's jaw. Um, yeah, Max Kellerman's brother, Sam Kellerman, was murdered by a fighter. And that's what you're looking at when these guys fall off and don't have the help. Move the guy into his house. That union didn't exist, Joe. And he knew the guy had potential as a fighter and was a decent human being. And his life just went down and down and down. And when it finally deteriorated <coughs> to a point where Sam Kellerman had to say, you have to go, man. I can't do this anymore to my family. I've tried really hard to help you. You have to go. It turned into an argument, and he killed Sam Kellerman. 
Max's brother. I'm going to come up with the guy's name, but uh, but that's what you end up with with these John Jones is the worst, worst kind of people that – Butler. That's it. Uh, that, that was James the guy Butler that, uh, Jr. Yeah, James Butler. I remember when he got uh, booted for uh, – he, like, attacked the ref after – or, or hit his opponent the other after fighter, losing yeah. the fight. Right, right, Took right. Took the gloves yeah. off, and then he, he hit him barehanded and broke his jaw. Uh, I, I don't think that guy fought again. Like, this guy, this is – and that's what I'm talking about. You got these guys that fighting makes sense to. Those things he did make sense to him. But at some point, he walked into a gym and said, hey, fighting makes sense to me. And the Kellermans looked at that as an opportunity to intervene. This was a moment. This was a, a choice point where we could intervene and do something about this person. And we didn't have anything there. Those two homeless kids that that boxing trainer took in. Like, where is the other part of it? It's just, it's just one of the best parts of Scrub Scraps is whether you're fighting or not, whether you make it that way or not, there should be something else for the people who walk through that door because the vast majority of them aren't athletes who just want to see what they can do. I can count those on one hand. I've had 250 people at Scrub Scraps. I can count the athletic guys just trying to figure out life on one hand. The rest of them were dealing with some kind of trauma, had some kind of pain in their life where the idea of getting punched appealed to them. I've had that conversation. It's really getting punched that I kind of like. You know how tough it is to have that conversation with somebody and explain to them why that is? John Jones needs help. John Jones needs help, and we should have a program set up for the people. Maybe they walk through the gym doors because they need help. And then when they leave the gym doors, nobody's going to follow them out there and ask them if they still need help. And it sucks. I don't want this guy in our sport anymore, but he needs help. And the help he needs isn't, isn't the number two pound for pound ranking. It isn't a bunch of people cheering for him. It isn't bright lights. It's a, it's a room with a couple other people that have gone through some of the same shit he has without all the celebrity where he can say, hi, I'm John Jones and I have a fucking problem. Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. But, I mean, I, you're Dana White, right? This is when he – him and Conor McGregor. Keep him out of Las Vegas. Cast. Fuck Dana White. Like, I can't – No, yeah, that's like Dana White, but that's the dumbest thing you could have said, dude. Keep him out of Las Vegas. Like, there's something about Las Vegas. That's – it's not inside of John Jones. It's outside of him. It must be the city he's in. We can't bring him here even for a minute. What a stupid thing to say to take all the responsibility off of your cash cow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you, Dana White has to take a little bit of responsibility himself, and he has to go out of his way. I mean, John Jones and Conor McGregor, the two biggest cash cows, they time and time again have these problems. You have to figure it out. You have to, if they're going to make you money, you have to give some sort of a shit about who they are as a human and help them out. Shouldn't that be your responsibility as the guy that they're walking in that door to see to provide something else for when they fall off because they are predisposed to falling off as evidenced by the fact that they walked through the door? Yeah. And John Jones, I mean, what really, really irks me is I went back and watched – him coming back the first time, or I don't even know, like his last time when he came back after uh, to fight Cormier. 
and he was preaching, oh, I found God and this and that. No, you haven't. Look at what's happened since. But uh, Him and Josh Gordon, just every video I see of them saying all the right things. And that's what I see. You're saying the right things, but I don't buy it. I've heard, I've heard a couple thousands of these, unlike most people, and those aren't guys I believe. John Jones, Josh Gordon, until something wholesale happens to your life. I don't know, man. Don't yeah. Know. But, uh, all right, let's move on to talk about someone oh, who's can we just hurting. Oh. One second. Sorry. Sorry. One second. Reason Scorsese made Raging Bull was because he was intrigued by the idea that boxers get paid to commit violence, but were shocked when they're maniacs outside the ring. What a great comment. They are who we thought they were. They are who we thought they were, and we let Jones, John Jones off the hook. We let him get away. They are who we thought they were. Thank you, Tony. Great comment. Yeah, but going on, let's move on. Someone who's causing a lot of issues to the sport, someone who's praised in in combat sports, Manny Pacquiao announced his retirement. Twitter post, to the greatest fans and the greatest sport in the world, thank you. Thank you for all the wonderful memories. This is the hardest decision I've ever made, but I'm at peace with it. Chase your dreams. Work hard. Watch what happens. Goodbye, boxing. And that brings us to our Who You Got. Looking back at Manny Pacquiao's career, Joe, what is your favorite Manny Pacquiao moment? Well, I love Manny Pacquiao, uh, and I'm I'm glad that he's retiring. And um, you know, he's he's like Muhammad Ali in the as far as uh, uh, the humanitarian side of him. Obviously, a great boxer like Muhammad Ali, but but a guy who's certainly um, certainly at that level. I mean, for me, the the Juan Manuel Marquez fight will will go down in you know, all time history. But for me, there's actually two things I loved even more. Uh, when he beat Keith Thurman at the age of 40 and oh. Keith Thurman was uh, undefeated. And I remember when that happened, uh, thinking, oh, Manny, why are you coming back for that? Uh, and he took care of business like only Manny Pacquiao can. And the other thing is, I've never been a fan of the Golden Boy. <laughs> and so, uh, Ending uh, ending De La Hoya was was definitely uh, a great moment in the career of Manny Pacquiao. But I don't ever want to see Manny fight again. That last fight uh, was was not that we don't want to see that anymore. He's done and, and he's he's got a bigger job to do. And that's to get the Philippines, his home country, uh, back on track. And uh, he was nominated for president uh, the week before. And so this announcement of his retirement didn't shock me. I kind of assumed uh, after accepting nomination for president that he wasn't very well going to continue to do both. Um, That would be weird. Um, I think Vladimir Vladimir Putin is the only uh, president anywhere in the world who also fights uh in in matches that are predetermined but anyway uh yeah Manny Pacquiao is one of the greatest of all time uh when when we the last tale of the tape I did on Manny Pacquiao I couldn't finish the end uh 
I, I kept getting choked up. I could not finish off the last line in, in reading that script. It was, uh, I'm just a big, a big Pac-Man fan. Uh, and, and, um, again, I wish that that last fight hadn't happened. Yeah. Didn't need to see it. Didn't want to see him go out like that. Jared, um, what you got? This is going to sound funny. Uh, because there's so many great moments in Pacquiao's career, uh, his trilogy with Marquez. But that's not a moment. The moment I've got is is looking back from here as my favorite moment. And this, this is really strange that it comes to me as my favorite moment in Manny Pacquiao's career, but it kept coming back to me, and I couldn't find anything that I wanted to be like, this is my favorite part. So can you imagine being one of the top two, three, four, five voices in boxing? Everybody recognizes your name. Everybody recognizes your voice. And you have a late replacement on a fight card that you've never heard of before. And you end up on live TV going, pitch, pitch, Jim Lampley, Pachio, Pachico, Pachio, Pachia. Well, I don't know how to say it. Can you imagine <laughs> that guy then turns into one of the greatest pound-for-pound pound fighters in the history of the planet? This guy was 4'11", 98 pounds when he started it, when he started this thing. Um, so, yeah, I guess my favorite moment is he subbed in. He was a late replacement. He was an underdog. He won the fight, and Lampley didn't know how to say his name. So from there, from watching that, and and for me, it was like, ah, oh, Lampley can't even say this guy's name. But that's why I remember Pacquiao's first televised fight is because Lampley couldn't say his name and then he won. <laughs> um, and that, for me, that was my favorite moment is when I met M Manny Pacquiao for the first time, you know, on, I mean, saw him for the first time on, on anywhere. And uh, Lampley failed like four or five times to pronounce his name and then just, ah, oh, we'll get on with it anyways. Pat, Pat Pacino, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, that's great. I mean, those are all great. Tony's got a great one too. Mm. When he destroyed Margarito's orbital bone for making fun of Freddie Roach's Parkinson's. Now for me, I went with not necessarily my favorite moment, but a moment that really impacted me as a combat sports fan. And that was his fight with Floyd Mayweather. But, I mean, it, it happened. I mean, you can talk all about how it should have happened earlier. But, it was, I mean, it was a big fight. Before then, I wasn't necessarily that big of a combat sports fan. And I watched that fight. And, it, it, it like, I watch it like I, I would, like a casual. And after, I was like, wait. How did Manny Pacquiao not win that fight? He was the aggressor. He's the one coming forward. And then I, I rewatched that fight a couple times. Like, how can you say that Manny Pacquiao lost this fight? How did Floyd Mayweather win this fight? And that's when I truly learned what the sweet science really was. It's not about going forward. It's not about the punches. It's not about landing the punches. It's about not getting hit. And that, that's why Floyd won that fight, because he was better at not getting hit than Manny Pacquiao. So, Volume can win you a lot of fights, but not yeah. all of them. Yep. 
So yeah, not necessarily my favorite moment, but hey, I th- it's had an impact on me as a combat sports fan. That fight, I mean, it's had an impact on everyone. But that's the that was the moment I knew I learned boxing wasn't just fighting; it was a sweet science. So yeah, and boy, I mean, looking back, I mean, there's so many moments that we didn't even talk about. Like he, Manny Pacquiao is just great. He he's a beast and. I mean, good luck to him when he becomes the president of the Philippines or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a great man. So, all right, let's take a quick break and then we will talk about tonight's fights. So, stay tuned. It's been a pretty wet summer in Connecticut, and that means more mosquitoes than ever. If you didn't have your home service for mosquito control and find you're spending most of your time outside flooding those little pests, you are in luck. Mosquito Shield of Central Connecticut provides the best value in mosquito control services because of how they treat your yard using the Mosquito Shield Tailored Treatment System. They don't use a fixed schedule or an identical product, one-size-fits-all service program because you can't control mosquitoes on a set number of sprays or visits. Unlike the competition, Mosquito Shield of Central Connecticut will service you for this season whatever it takes to provide superior results. This promise is awarded them an industry-leading consumer retention rating of 90%. Visit MosquitoShieldCT.com to schedule an appointment with Wade the Cesare and enjoy the rest of your summer mosquito-free. That is Mosquito Shield. Visit MosquitoShieldCT.com to sign up for their services. I know the summer's coming to an end, but the fall's coming around, and it is tick season. They also have tick shield services, so make sure you check that out. MosquitoShieldCT.com, and when you sign up for their services, tell them throwing jabs sent you. And now let's talk about the fights. And, Joe, break down for us. In the main event on Saturday night at UFC Fight Night 193, it's a light heavyweight bout between former UFC light heavyweight championship title challenger Thiago Santos and the up-and-coming Johnny Walker. Let's break it down. Johnny Walker is 29 years old. He's six foot six with an 82 inch reach and a record of 18 and five with 15 knockouts and two submissions. From Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Walker took up mixed martial arts in his teens before turning pro on December 14th, 2013, with a first round knockout. He went 10 and three in his native Brazil with all of his wins and losses coming by stoppage before taking up an offer from a Scottish businessman to move to the UK to train. He scored three more knockouts in England before earning a spot on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, where he scored an impressive unanimous decision over Henrique da Silva to earn a spot on the UFC roster. In his first fight under contract, he dominated Khalil Roundtree, manhandling up against the cage and then knocking him out cold with a brutal right elbow. Three months later, he took on Justin Ledette, knocking him out just 15 seconds into the fight with a wild spinning backfist, followed by ground and pound to earn his first performance of the night bonus. In a fast turnaround, the following month, he replaced Ovin St. Preux against Misha Kirkinov, knocking him out with a devastating flying knee, followed by ground and pound, before accidentally dislocating his shoulder while attempting to do the worm in celebration. After a nine-month layoff to recover, he returned against Corey Anderson. However, he was quickly overwhelmed, getting dropped by an overhand right-left combination and then scrambling to his feet 
where he was stunned by a hard right cross, prompting the referee to stop the fight. Five months later, he took on the always dangerous Nikita Krylov, but despite a few moments of success, he was dominated by the Ukrainian's superior grappling, dropping a unanimous decision in his second straight loss. After recovering from COVID-19, Walker faced the highly regarded Ryan Spahn, and after getting dropped heavily twice in the first round, Walker was able to land a series of elbows as Spawn shot in for a takedown, forcing the referee to call a halt to the action. A long and rangy striker, Walker possesses knockout power in either hand and is extremely dangerous and unpredictable, throwing elbows, knees, and punches from a wide variety of angles. Thiago Santos is 37 years old. He's 6'2", with a 76-inch reach and a record of 21-9 with 15 knockouts. From Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Santos was born into object poverty, taking up capoeira and Muay Thai to defend himself as he lived in the most dangerous section of the city. After serving as a paratrooper in the Brazilian Army, he made his MMA debut October 10, 2010, with a unanimous decision. He quickly went 8-1 with six stoppages, including a first-round knockout of Vicente Luque before making his UFC debut, losing to Cesar Ferreira via first-round guillotine choke. After losing by decision to Uriah Hall, he went on a five-fight winning streak with brutal knockouts over Steve Bossy and Nate Marquardt before dropping two in a row, a first-round knockout loss to Jagard Musasi, and a first-round submission to Eric Spicely. He bounced back five months later, scoring a spectacular spinning wheel kick knockout of Jack Marshman and followed that up with vicious knockouts over top contenders Gerald Mirashart, Jack Hermanson, and the always dangerous Anthony Smith. After suffering a first-round knockout to David Branch, he went on another four-fight tear with a decision over Kevin Holland, followed by a doctor stoppage of Eric Anders and a brutal left-hook knockout of Jimmy Manoa. In February of 2019, he headlined UFC Fight Night, engaging in a highly tactical and exciting fight with Jan Blachowicz before catching the future light heavyweight champion with a left hook as he rushed in and finished him off with ground and pound. On July 6, 2019, he got his first shot at the title, taking on future Hall of Famer John Bones Jones in an exciting back-and-forth fight. And despite losing by split decision, he became the first fighter to win a judge scorecard against Jones. Following the fight, he underwent double knee surgery as he had sustained a torn ACL, PCL, and meniscus, as well as a cracked tibia. After recovering from a bout of COVID-19, he took on number one contender Glover Teixeira in another action-packed brawl, and despite almost finishing Teixeira a couple of times, he eventually lost via rear naked choke. Six months later, he continued his losing streak when he dropped a unanimous decision to Alexander Rakic in a fairly lackluster and cautious fight. A well-rounded and technically proficient striker, Santos has an exceptionally high ring IQ and possesses explosive power in his kicks and punches. Will the devastating power and unpredictability of Walker bring him victory as he continues his ascent up the rankings? Or will Moretta's skill and experience against the best in the world bring him one step closer to a rematch with Blahovitz for another shot? at light heavyweight gold. Tune in Saturday night, and let's find out. All right, Joe. I know how much you love Johnny Walker, so I'll give you the floor to fellatiate him all you want. Oh, you're muted, Joe. Got it. 
Got it. I got I got really excited. I'm a big Johnny Walker fan. I really like this guy. Here's the interesting thing about this fight. Uh, in their last six fights combined, Walker and Santos are one in five. So uh, somebody really needs a win here tonight. The guy who really needs to win, to be honest, is Santos, who hasn't won a fight since he beat Jan Blahovitz. He's dropped three straight since then. Um, Johnny Walker was riding high. He's 6'6", 205. Uh, I, for the life of me, I don't know how anybody can beat this guy because he fights a little bit like Corey Sanhagen, but just that he's 6'6", 205. The way this guy moves in the ring, every step that he takes, he he looks like a giant. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. That said, look, Diago Santos a killer. That's what this guy does. And I mentioned to you earlier, Jace, there's there's actually two guys in the top 10 in the light heavyweight rankings who are on three fight losing streaks. And the reason is, is because these guys are all fighting each other and they're all really tough. Santos is 37. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Walker's 29. He's got a big height and a big reach advantage. He does really amazing things with the knees and the elbows. And it's only for that reason that I think this bloodbath ends with Johnny Walker on top. I agree. I agree. I'm taking Johnny Walker. Um, And one of the reasons why is the age. And the other reason is a little bit similar to the Usyk and Joshua. Look at all the people that beat Johnny Walker. You can't fighting as Santos does is not the way to beat Johnny Walker. Styles make fights, too much reach. Um, head movement's good. I I I like Johnny Walker here. Uh if they're both 29, give me Santos. But uh yeah, I think Walker, the reach, the striking. Um, hey, is there any way to show the last clip of that Johnny Walker reel there? What did 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 the ref did the referee miss weight? It looked like maybe the ref missed weight and they had somebody in jeans come in as a late replacement. <laughs> Who was That's dragging hilarious. him off of the other guy? That was a guy in jeans dragging. I just saw like, where the hell did that guy come from? You know, there's just some guy in jeans running in like, stop the fight. Is that his little brother? Like, <laughs> who was that guy? Um, yeah. So now I want to watch that back. I'm curious. Yeah. Santos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know where he came from. Maybe I'm hallucinating. <laughs> All right. But Jake Walker. Okay. I'm going to be that guy again. No, I, I, I do. No, I. Johnny Walker, he's great. He's flashy. He can get the knockouts. But Santos is a guy that's built for war. And I don't think Johnny Walker – Johnny Walker hasn't gone to war yet. And this five rounds against Santos. I, I No, I, I just think – dude, he, he won a judge's scorecard against John Jones with two – Torn ACLs in both knees. Better come, much better competition. A guy in jeans never uh, grabbed Santos off a guy in his professional career. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember February twenty third, twenty nineteen? It's about oh, two and a half. About two yeah, and a half I was years ago. A green shirt. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was when Thiago Santos last won a fight. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Been a long but, time. Yeah, I get that, but I mean, he's fought. He's fighting the top. Oh yeah, Stop, guys. Oh and, yeah, and I mean, 
Johnny Walker is only two and two against ranked opponents. Thiago, I, while Thiago Santos is a lot older, look at the top of this this division. It, it is run by the dinosaurs. So I, I'd like Santos to get it done. Walker, I think he's going to take Walker into those deep rounds. And and I think in the championship rounds, that fourth round, Santos gets the finish. Thor's hammer gets dropped on Johnny Walker's chin. Santos, fourth round, knockout. That's what I'm going with. He lost to uh, to grapplers and wrestlers, never to a striker like Santos. Too much reach. Johnny He's Walker. never fought a striker like Santos. That's probably mm-hmm. fair, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Span, a lot of- round uh, like I said, he, he's Walker's great, He but he's great. He's the, he's an explosive guy. He's like Yoel Romero. He he's explodes. But I, I think when it gets later, later in the rounds, Santos is going to pull ahead because, like I said, Santos is prepared for war. Johnny Walker has not been to war yet. Mm, I get this. Well, pick. with the level of opposition, I really get that pick, Jace. I'm sure Joe, Joe's not going to put his hair on this one. We're we're both taking no. Walker, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, listen, this is one pick. of this is one of his best. I'll be that guy's because you look, I, uh, the Thiago Santos to me, it's like a fifty-one forty-nine here. I, mm, yeah. I, I, I'll t- put it like this. Really close I player. really do like. I'm a Johnny Walker fan. I love to watch this guy. So this is me being a little bit of a fan here too when I pick Walker. Over Santos, because I think Santos is really good. Um, Corey Anderson clipped him in that loss. And, man, Walker just, he tried so hard. He yeah, don't bet your hair on this one. <laughs> he tried so hard, and he, he just could not overcome getting getting clipped. He just, he was never, he was out on his feet, and, and he really did last a lot longer than he, he should have otherwise. So I gave him some credit in that fight. Against Krylov, I mean that was just he got out wrestled. That's not Johnny's game. The spawn, the spawn fight is the one I'm I'm actually a little concerned about, Jace. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, now Jared, I don't know if you saw that fight, but Spawn was was actually giving him the business for a, a pretty good amount of time, and actually had him up against the cage, and and I guess was trying to take him down. Which I, I don't know. I didn't understand that uh, because that was finish him off time, and and yeah. Spawn brought him to the ground. And because Walker's so big, he kind of positioned himself, got his leg underneath, and they just started raining down the elbows. And that's how he stole that fight. So his last three have not been great. So well, that I- that does concern me. But the thing about Johnny Walker, like I said, he he's like he fights like Corey Sanhagen. Or Yuri Prohaska, where, dude, the things this guy does at the size that he is, flying knees, uh, spinning wheel kicks, you don't you don't see that from big guys like this. And dude, Johnny Walker's elbows, did you see that elbow to Roundtree? I mean, it, it looked like he had killed him and Prohaska's then just laid him down in the person. ring. That was that was crazy. So this guy's elbows and knees. That's really why I think Johnny Walker can win this fight. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm going with Santos, but like this was hard. Like you said, fifty-one forty-nine. Like, yeah, I went back and forth, but 
I do. Santos is tough. I don't see him. I don't see even if Walker does land one of those flashy moves. I, I think Santos can take it. And uh, I, 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 I just it's gonna be war. It's gonna be war. And I haven't seen Walker go to war yet. I, I haven't. But uh, all right, Jared, your turn. Make us some money. Uh, last week was a disaster. I won all of those fights. The judges said I went one and three. But if you watch the fights, it's not true. Maxim Prodan won. That was disastrous. I was as frustrated as I've ever been going one and three with Alexander Usyk being the only one the judges gave the fight. And there were two of those four fights that I thought were more dominant than Usyk was. But on to this week. I love minus numbers on unders. When the under is the favorite, it hits a lot. Um, So these are both guys that are supposed to murder the guy they're in the ring with, play them apart, parlay them together. They're both going to hit. Neither one of those guys last three rounds that they're in there with. So take the under. All right. All right. And I mean... Dude, we're not going to do fight of the night because there aren't a lot of that good fights. This, but it, it is sneaky good. There's not necessarily good matchups, but there are some decent names going up against some uh, more obscure names that might be able to make a name for themselves. I just said name too many times. But uh, <laughs> let's get no, to no, – Seriously, real quick, Kevin Holland uh, and Nico Price are oh. both on the card tonight. Yeah, Don't, Bryce I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm pleased with the card tonight. There's not any great fights, but there's a lot of really yeah. cool fighters who are fighting tonight. Oh, also, Dawkins is favorite. I mean, Dawkins could yeah. be Holland all day. Those are no. both great fights. That that uh, Dawkins and Holland and Nico Price, Alex Oliveira. Yeah, you, take Dawkins. I, I'll the UFC's ruining this kid. You, you, he's seen you. You've seen him struggle against wrestlers. You're giving him another wrestler. It's gonna get over like. He's gonna get tapped pretty easy. So I mean, it's it's Dawkins is an underdog. Take that money because Holland can't wrestle for Jack. Yep. Squat. Take Dawkins. But uh, all right, now let's get on to the scrub strap spotlight. Let's bring in our guest, Jared. There he is. Hey guys, awesome. thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. I know you've been dying to get on here to talk about this. <laughs> Absolutely. Quick introduction. My name is Jared Jones. I'm the founder, owner, and president of an organization called Scrub Scraps Beginners Boxing League. Uh, Scrub Scraps is the world's only legal beginners boxing league and the country's only alternative treatment-based boxing program. So start off here. Uh, tell us how you started this and why you started this. And and if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't necessarily for the best reasons right off the bat. Um, No, no, not at all. Uh, it started with a bigger kid bullying a smaller kid that I thought if they boxed would be a pretty close fight, ends up it was. Um, but most of it for me, uh, I, I have f- high-functioning autism. So there's like this, uh, there's kind of social barriers that I struggle with. And um, I noticed that when it came to aggression and toughness, that there was, uh, I, I take everything real literally, you know? So all of that stuff didn't have a fit for me if we weren't sure. 
Like, how do we know this guy walking around and being the toughest guy in the room is the toughest guy in the room? You can show me better than you can tell me. And I didn't have it in me to say that. But I decided if there was just a way to do that, that it would kind of dull that uh, aggression. I would deal with less of that if there was an opportunity. So I got gloves. I got helmets. I kind of put all those things in place so that when people come over my house, they talk to each other with respect or they really have to show, like Miles said, everybody's armed at the gun range. Nobody's really spouting off because everybody's armed. Charles says, we all know how big our thing is, so we don't feel like we have to do that um, as people do in other situations. So really, for me, it was like the ultimate equalizer for that social um, problem I was I was trying to adapt to and deal with. And some of it was just being bullied. When I started boxing at 14 and realized I could have beat up most of my bullies, that those kids couldn't fight. They didn't know how to fight. I was shocked. I was shocked and appalled. And that was the beginning of scrub scraps, you know, that, that everybody should have that. If we all had that there, we'd have less of the other stuff. When did you realize or notice that you had kind of created something special, something that, that could be used in a, in a rehabilitation uh, sense? Um, we were, I think it was about 2008 or 2009. Um, we started in 2004, so we're about four or five years in and, uh, and it was after a training session, we did round robin sparring. So one person is in there with all the other four people. And then whoever was last with that person gets five rounds and the last person so that you're wearing each other down, you know? You're getting a, a fresh guy every three minutes and there's no break. So you've just been in there 25 minutes with five different people. Um, and we did that and around and around and hours go by, you know, and then we're sitting in the garage afterward. Um, Chris Moscone, I call him Dizzle, the uh, vice president sitting there with me. And there's five or six guys there. And these are some of the hardest guys you would meet and in a driveway in Mansfield, you know, um, and they all were crying and sharing like the darkest parts of themselves. There was this, we were so exhausted and we had exposed ourselves to each other. And we were all so vulnerable that these guys that had never talked to anybody like that, all of a sudden they were all crying and hugging and there was this thing happening and I sat in the garage with Dizzle after everybody left for hours. And he said, uh, I said, I never, it never occurred to me that the demographics are almost all people dealing with trauma. That if I say, who, who wants to punch somebody or get punched in the face, that the people that raise their hand are all the people that are dealing with some kind of trauma. That makes sense to them for a reason. And he looked up at me and said, we get the school shooters. And that was one of those moments for me that was like, he's right. We have this thing that the kid that could potentially go shoot up the school, we have an extracurricular activity that they'll volunteer for. They don't want to do your paint nights. They don't want to do your basket weaving. But we built something that they'll come out and volunteer for. 
And then we can attach this part to it. And um, it was about six months later, March 13th, I woke up with Cuddle the Bear. And it it's likely my greatest um, thought in my life. And uh, yeah, the rest is pretty much history. <laughs> maybe real quick for anybody who doesn't know the Cuddle a Bear philosophy, maybe just kind of give us a brief. Um, it's based uh, heavily on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, is a pyramid structure that show that that basically you need the bottom level satisfied and you work your way up. So the biggest thing for me at that point, uh, the easiest way to describe it was if you're chasing a bear in the woods, you have to have some very serious things going wrong. You're either hungry enough that you're trying to eat the bear. You're cold enough that you're trying to inhabit the bear because the lowest level of that hierarchy is food, water, warmth and, and rest. If you don't have all of those things, you will sacrifice anything above it. The second level is safety and security. So in chasing the bear, you're sacrificing your safety and security for food, water, warmth, and rest, right? So you need to have the bottom level satisfied. Now, the third one is personal relationships and trust. So I thought I would be a personal psychologist. I thought I would be a therapist and I'd be able to talk to people and help people. And at some point I realized people dealing with trauma, they don't have food, water, warmth, rest, safety, and security satisfied. So how on earth are they going to build a meaningful, trusting relationship with a psychologist? They can't. They don't have the foundation for that. So my hands are tied and I can only help people who have enough food, water, warmth and rest and safety and security. And how many of those people are coming out for therapy? I can only help the people who don't need my help. So um, you will never get lonely enough to try to cuddle the bear. You will never lay on the couch and try to talk to the bear. That intimate relationship is outside of your wheelhouse if you're not eating enough. You might try to eat the bear. You might try to inhabit the bear. Otherwise, your safety and security is going to trump everything else on that list. And so I, when you get in there, it opens up that trauma. You, you're reacting. Instead of thinking about what you're supposed to do next, you're just reacting. And that's the thing that will make you chase the bear. But it's the same thing that will keep you in bed all day. It's the same thing that will make you cut yourself. It's the same thing that will make you drink or use drugs or just make that snap decision. Because people that dealt with trauma like that, we rely on our instincts. Our instincts keep us alive. Our instincts tell us, go get the bear, because that's the only way to eat. And we listen to our instincts because we eat. Because it gives us the feed, food, water, warmth, rest, safety, and security we need like animals, like prehistoric, like cavemen. We're going to get those things if we have to eat each other. Look at any situation human beings were in where they had to eat one another to survive. They did. They did. Every single time except for once. So you're over 99% of the time people will do that. You have the conversation, hey, would you do that? People say no. And why would people say they would never eat another human being? Because they've had all those other rows satisfied. Joe, when I punched you in the head, you said things slowed down for you. And you started getting calculated and trying to dissect a way for that not to happen again. And when we were done, you told me that and I cried. And I said, there is scrub scraps, Joe. That doesn't happen for everyone. You have dealt with your trauma to a point that when things hit you, you don't just fight back. 
You don't just use drugs or deal with it some inappropriate way. You stop, you slow it down, and you say, I don't want that to happen again. But the people that walk in and want to fight, they don't have that. I trigger something inside of them, and then I say, there's a better way. And I teach them how to slow it down like you were able to slow it down like most people on those third and fourth steps of that hierarchy are able to. That is an impossibility for the people who walk into my gym. Jared, I remember it wasn't the first time we met. I remember we went to Connecticut School Broadcasting together. I remember the first week we were we were just it was mostly on the TV side. So we were with Walter and we would talk a little bit about fights. And then I remember when we started, when we went to Joe's class, we were doing some radio stuff. And Joe said, introduce yourself, say something interesting about yourself or something like that. Joe, Jared said, I'm Jared Jones and I run a fight club. And that was, that was the wildest thing. I was like, what? And then the next day, he comes in with like this big packet of like a letter to the U.S. Boxing Commission. And you've been fighting really hard since it got shut down to get it backing up. And I know you're getting closer day by day. What what was that fight like to get Scrub Scraps legitimized? Damn. Um... He's on the ropes right now. This is. <laughs> I've been talking a lot about that with Dizzle because there was a point where our social media following started to really blow up. There was something viral going on with Scrub Scraps. And um, I had a lawyer call me and tell me everything we were doing was illegal. And I was ready to pin myself to the cross because I knew I was doing something good. And Dizzle started backing away from it. My best friend started, you know, trying to talk sense into me. And it wasn't working, you know? I was like, even if, even if I get arrested, worst case scenario, they charge me, they try to give me 800 years and people will show up and explain how I've been doing this good thing and it's form over substance. And this is, it's an argument we can win. And he said, all those people chanting and holding signs aren't gonna be there. I know you like to think that, but I'll be there crying with your wife while they take you away. And if you're gonna keep doing this thing, you're gonna have to do it without me. And I trusted that he wouldn't have done that to me, to our thing, without knowing um, that it was dangerous and there was a better way. And he, whew, he did that for me. And uh, I look back at that part now and I told him the other day, I hate saying this as a man because there's no way for me to know how it would feel but I go back to that night and off the top of my head, I said to him, I imagine that's how a woman would feel after an abortion. I had life at this thing and then it was just gone. I was up all night sitting in the garage thinking about how I was gonna shut this thing down. <sighs> and survive it and whether it was ever going to come back again. 
And um, and Dizzle told me, you're the Tom Brady. You're the Muhammad Ali of this. We're down now. It's late in the third quarter. And we're down 28 to 3, but you're the guy I want in there. You come back to the corner. I'm going to work on your cuts. I'm going to give you some water, but I'm going to send you back out there because you're the guy that can win this fight. He's the only person you could take away, and this doesn't get done the way that it does. I love you, Chris. I think he would say the same thing. Well, he actually did say that to me yesterday. I actually talked to Diz on the phone yesterday. We actually were talking about that, uh, how uh, how instrumental you are and how you love to credit everybody else. Because uh, <laughs> that's the kind of guy that you are. Listen, now that you're totally on the ropes here to Tierville, <laughs> let me ask you this, because um, the story you might have just told might have been the greatest success story. Obviously, this thing's been approved and and we're in, in the launch process now to get scrub scraps uh, now that it's legal and legitimized uh, up, up all over the world. Now, who is your best individual success story? And if you want to start crying first and then answer, that's fine. Or you want to answer and then cry, whichever, whichever works best. But I know we've talked to a lot of these fellas and, and ladies who have come through there. I'm curious who you personally believe was your biggest success story. And again, not from a fighting standpoint, but from a who did you help the most? Um, well, I'm going to go with Wes. Only because you guys saw Miles, you guys met Miles, um, a lot of struggles when he was younger, asthma, Tourette's, and the moment with his father coming over and saying, you built a foundation, a platform for stuff that I always wanted to see my son in the light that you made here. So um, we also had Pax on. That would be one of the top three. Um, and she went from very, very anxious and depressed to you know, working on a PhD at Purdue. Um, but we had both of them on. Uh, Wes, um, he didn't say much when he first got there. Uh, kind of a loner. I don't want to get into, you know, what, what disorders I think he may or may not have, but could be hard to talk to at times. And um, He's the strange kid. Like, I'm not going to pull any punches. I don't mind him hearing me say that. He's a little off. And when you meet him, you're like, mm, this guy's a little off. And then he started showing up to every single training session and uh, working on my car just to be there and cleaning out the, the bramble in my yard just to for the for the No, it's a good workout, Wes. You're. You know, hey, the things you don't support, they go away, he said to me once and handed me $20. It's the only money I've ever taken for scrub scraps. He wasn't going to let me give it back to him. The things you don't support disappear, and I never want this to disappear. It gave this kid who everybody looked at as the outsider and everybody thought was the loner an opportunity for people to cheer for him and and for him to be successful and for him to then even train other people. There were people asking him for his advice for their fights. You know, this is the kid that was shadow boxing, talking to himself in the corner the first time that everybody was like, who the hell is that guy? And now they're asking him for, for advice. So the growth that I watched in uh, Wes was, is 
It's just immeasurable. And he said that. And then he brought his little brother in, Noah, who we couldn't find any board for. And I ended up boxing with. And when I said, hey, there's not really anybody here, I, I would box you with you, Noah. Really? I'll never forget the look on this kid's face. You just found out a kid with 30, with 20, 30 years of experience <laughs> is going to box you in front of 100 people in your first fight ever. And he was so excited that he was going to get a chance to do it. And Wes walked over at the end and he said, I saw things in my little brother that I've never, never seen before. There's a fighter inside of my little brother that I've never met. We lost our father. We lost our mother. I've raised him myself. And he showed me things today that I've never seen before. Um, Wes and Noah, yeah, they, they've only ever had each other. And I introduced him to a world where there were other people that cared about you. So, yeah, I'd say if there's, if there's one, it's not like um, Dane's story. You know, but he works now over at the cigar shop. You know, he has a job um, full time. And for Wes... You know, it's not the heights you attain, it's the distance you travel. And that's why Wes is my favorite story, because everybody came in thinking he was going to lose every fight. And when he started winning, they were shocked. And he won his last four fights in a row. Like, now people can't beat Wes because he just trained and trained and trained and got so fixated on it. This is the kid I told you about that my sister yelled to. Do you guys remember that story? In his first fight, he's sitting there and he's, and he's fighting and he's doing his thing. And he gets hit in the nuts, like 30, 45 seconds into the fight. We have a break for him. He stretches out. He's good to go. And this other kid's bigger, trying to kill him. Uh, Youngblood, really letting his hands go, bop, bop, bop. And uh, my sister yells, let's go, let's go, Wes. And he stopped and looked over at her. And Youngblood, like, shocked him with a punch. And I couldn't figure out what happened. Why are you listening to the crowd? You know, what's going on with Wes? And after the fight, the kid walks over to me and he says, when I was a little kid, I was on a soccer team and some of the other kids got hurt. So I had to be on the team. And then I was uh, one of the in the in the back near the goal. And one of the kids came in with the ball and I kicked the ball away. And somebody said, let's go, Wes. And then he walked away from me. And it took me a second to figure out that he was explaining to me what happened, that this 34-year-old man hadn't had anybody cheer for or celebrate him since he was eight. And when he heard my sister say, let's go, Wes, he stopped and turned and time froze for him. And he went back to being that little kid and being celebrated and having done something good. Can you imagine? Let's go, Joe. I do that every weekend. Yeah. Jared, you got to know what question's coming. What's the difference between Jared before Scrub Scraps and Jared after Scrub Scraps? Even knowing that was coming, it's still hard. <laughs> Jared before Scrub Scraps didn't have any way to belong. I didn't fit in. I didn't have friends. I didn't feel like there were people I could talk to. I didn't want your fucking therapy sessions. There weren't extracurricular activities for me where I wasn't bullied. 
I stood out from everybody else because I didn't talk or think the same way they did. And in the ring, we were all the same. And there is no Jared after Scrub Scrubs. There is only Scrub Scrubs after Jared. I love that. I love that. And Jared, like, I can't say enough good things about you. I remember when we, we you and I first talked about starting this show, we, we did a little test episode where we were just talking about, it was right after Anthony Joshua got beat by Ruiz. And we were just talking about, we were just talking about fights. And then we went into Joe's office at CSB and to ask Joe, hey, we've got an idea for this podcast. And then you sat down and you 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 got into Jared mode. You got into flurry Jared mode where you were talking and you're so passionate about scrub scraps. And then that's I'm like, okay, th- this is the show. This is what, yeah, fights are one thing, but Jared doing this, this is something different. And that's what I knew that that's what was going to make our, our – that was going to make throwing jabs different than any other boxing show. And it's because how great you are. Like like we talked about with Dana White, he doesn't give a shit about his, his best cash, cash cows. You give a shit about the people no one gives a shit about. And that's what Scrub Scraps is based off of. And I love you, brother. I love you too, Jace. Thank you, man. All right. That's gonna do it for throwing jobs this week. Damn, that was a good that was a good script script spotlight. I love that. But uh Jared, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thank you guys for having me. Anytime I'll come back if you guys want. That'd be great. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm I'm not emotional at all. Like I never tear up or cry during these, but I'm starting to tear up now. That's crazy. But uh <laughs> all right. For myself, Big Jace, Joe Aguirre, Jared Jones, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the fight tonight. It's going to be a great one. It's going to be war, like I said. They're going to war. But uh, make sure you check out Clovercrest Media for more information about this podcast and a bunch of other ones, not just sports, true crime, a bunch of other stuff. So make sure you check that out. And we'll see you next week for more Throwing Jabs. Take care. Throwing jabs, always full sand. Here we go again. Jared, Joe, and Jay's Clover Crest, top three corner man. Punching in with a punch's chance. We find a way to win. The main event, lock it in. Every Saturday at 10, the overhand is out of hand. When it comes to fisticuffs, slide a hand on the undercard. You'll never see the punch. Uppercut, got you missing weight. Feet a step and late. Keep your guard up, feeling faint from a faint. Take a stand and eighth, then retaliate. Put up your dukes, stick and move. Bob and wave, don't lose hope against the ropes. There's always an escape. Never stay down. One more round, bells ringing, counter punch with your chin tucked and go down swinging we bringing crosses with no worship hooks with no verses combinations with no locks when you feel the flurry of curtains from scrub scraps to fight stats relax if you want the facts because the best combat podcast is throwing jabs hello my name is 
name is Joe Aguirre. I'm the president of Clovercrest Media Group. And here at CMG, we have a wide variety of podcasts, including sports shows like Keys to the City, The Roll Call, Throwing Jabs, All Four Downs, and Jawing About the G-Men. And great true crime shows like Sticky Week, Crimes and Consequences, Ivy League Murders, and Burn, The Unsolved Murder of David Eichmann. Find all these podcasts and so much more by visiting CloverCrestMedia.com.